Hey, this is a Hakawari production. Hi, friends. Welcome to the men's room. We all love great food, right? Well, it sure seems that way. The food delivery industry is expected to be worth $200 billion by 2025. $200 billion, and that number might be even higher now with the lockdowns that are forcing people to stay in their homes. The industry is growing even faster than expected. In fact, online food delivery has been one of the only winners since the coronavirus outbreak. And considering that only 11% of the world currently has access to online food delivery, it's a safe bet that there's plenty of opportunity here for tech companies globally. All right, so my next guest is the co-founder and CEO of GrubTech, a Dubai-based food delivery tech company that was launched just last year and recently raised $2 million in seed funding. He's the former VP of the Omnichannel division at Altair, where he negotiated digital franchise agreements with partners including Bloomingdale's, Macy's, Gap, and Mamas and Papas. Please welcome to the show, Mohamed Al-Fayed. Hi, Mohamed. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you, Nadia? Nice to meet you. Great. Great to have you here. Um, by the way, do you ever get mistaken for Mohamed Al-Fayed, the former owner of Harrods? <laughs> yeah, so a couple hundred times a week, easily. Seriously? Um, and I usually, at, at least, and I usually say, uh, you know, I'm not in the will, so it doesn't really matter, right, if he's related or not. Yeah, true that. Good answer. <laughs> Yes. So congratulations on the recent funding. GrubTech just raised $2 million in seed funding a few weeks ago, and it's a pretty young company. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It's been an incredible journey so far. So I'm quite proud of what the team has done. And, and you know, we continue to, to raise the bar higher and higher. And, and, and it's, uh, you know, it's been an amazing time for the company's uh, uh, position and history. So explain in a nutshell what GrubTech does. Sure. We um, we built uh, an operating system for delivery-centric restaurants and cloud kitchens, which is a fancy way of just saying that we are a digital enabler for any restaurant that has a significant portion of their revenue coming out of an online channel. And obviously, you know, the new business model that we know today of cloud kitchens. So we handle the technology end-to-end, -end, everything from the IoT sensors that go into a kitchen to the point of sale, um, to how they manage the ingredients, recipes, menus, the plethora of food aggregators, whether it's the Labat, Zimato, um, Hunger Station, Deliveroo, and so on and so on, to what happens inside the kitchen, how the chef gets a signal to prepare an X order, um, how the driver gets a signal to come and collect that order, and how you get your food after you've placed your order on your phone. So that whole ecosystem, um, you know, is obviously fragmented and it's quite nascent. So GrubTech provides you know, bleeding edge technology to, to bring in the efficiencies and automation for, for these two business models. It's almost like you're speaking a, like a, a language that most people wouldn't understand because it's pretty technical. I mean, I was researching sure. this today and I know, it's a, you know, food delivery is a huge business and growing, but I still think about that drawer that's full of uh, paper menus, you know, and those are kind of going by the wayside although I'm sure some people still use them. But there are already a lot of online food delivery services uh, available in the region, including some international players. How do you compete with the big players like Uber Eats, which is already in more than 670 cities on six continents, and Delivery Hero, for example, that German company that was recently bought by uh, Dutch giant Takeaway.com. That's another huge one. I mean, you already have like these huge companies. Um, what does GrubTech do differently 
um, that got investors interested? We, we actually, we're not a food aggregator, so we don't compete with this business model. What we do is the food aggregators, as you rightly said, I mean, you know, own a significant portion of the market share when it comes down to the online food delivery service. That's a problem for restaurants, because if you've ever been to a restaurant and saw a bunch of tablets on the counter, okay, and there's one for Uber Eats, and there's one for Talabat, and one for Zomato, and so on and so on, the issue that you have here at the first friction point is that the restaurant doesn't have these tablets connected into their ecosystem, so their point of sale. So when one tablet goes ting, 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 you know, there's Nadia's burger order, you know, the restaurant has to typically print out a receipt and go to the point of sale and enter that order for the chef in the back of the kitchen to start preparing it. And everything is analog. If you think about, you know, like you said, paper and pencil, that's how the current system is operating. So we're actually an enabler of the food aggregators, and we work very closely with Uber Eats, Deliveroo, Talabat, Zomato, Delivery Hero, both in the region and in other areas. So we think of us as the, the digital enabler for making their lives and the restaurant's lives a lot easier. We bridge the gap between the two technology spaces. That that better be a veggie burger, by the way. <laughs> so so it's not an app. Um, that's why I said it's almost like your own language. Are, do you have competitors or is this really kind of a new kind of technology that's kind of the next step in what's already happening with all the online aggregators? More like the latter. I mean, this, you know, digital transformation of flipping restaurants from brick and mortar dine-in locations where you can come in and order food to the new consumer norm of getting your phone out, placing your, you know, an order on your phone and expecting, you know, a doorbell in 38 minutes with your, with your food. This just recently happened. So the food aggregators have been around for about 10 years, but it was still, you know, sub 10% of a restaurant's revenue. Today, a food aggregator can easily be 30 to 50% of a restaurant's revenue. And obviously because of pandemic now, you know, with dining all but limited, now that's the 80% revenue uh, channel. So the accentuate friction point, if you would, is now much more meaningful for a restaurant. And that's on the restaurant side. If I look on the cloud kitchen side, so, you know, the cloud kitchen business model for all intents and purposes is about two years old. You know, the, the concept of getting uh, a, a, an empty warehouse and stuffing 10 to 12 brands in it that serve as delivery only brands on food aggregators is a relatively new concept. And basically, technology hasn't made that leap to cater to that business model yet. And that's where we really saw our opportunity. So we built a from the ground up operating system to you know make these people's lives a lot easier using technology. I think I kind of get it. Um, I know you talk about uh, kind of robots or AI also in, in when you talk about what you do. I know Domino's Pizza, for example, has been talking about rolling out uh, robotic delivery in Texas for a couple of years now. Car companies, including Ford, Toyota and GM, have successfully trialed their autonomous vehicles for food delivery services in the U.S. Does GrubTech have uh, any plans on using any kind of robots for anything that you just described? I know you don't do like the delivery, you're kind of in, in, in the deeper tech side of it, but how would you use AI and robots? So great question. So on, on the AI side of things, so Nadia places, you know, let's call it one order a day from a brand, right? And and as you build this history of Nadia's previous, you know, purchases, the brands should really know who Nadia is, right? I mean, you said I want it to be a veggie burger because I don't eat meat. 
you know, why do you keep seeing, you know, burgers and steak every time you open up your app? We need to move to a position of hyper-personalization. And where we're actually taking it is even a step forward, so a step further. So rather than only know Nadia as a milkshake lover, who's a vegetarian, who prefers to order salad for lunch, you know, and a, and a nice, uh, you know, acai bowl for, for dinner, um, and we, we take it a step forward by saying, well, we should also talk to Nadia's Apple Watch and see what her Apple Health data is to see how many calories did she burn in her morning workout and to suggest a dinner plan that fits her particular goals, whether it's you know building muscle, losing fat, or just maintaining her weight. Uh, and, and that's what we're, you know, the next step or the evolution that we're trying to kind of enable in that sector is how do we leverage the, you know, the information that is being captured around you, how long you've slept, how many hours you've worked, how many steps you've taken, how long you were standing up, to start to cater the availability of abundance of meals or from the, again, abundant um, restaurants to make sure you're getting what you need. And the technology that we're using with machine learning or artificial intelligence is to try to, A, identify who Nadia is by way of personalization and traits, and then to use Nadia's information to match her with the appropriate meals that make her life a little easier as far as robotics is concerned i mean we're you know we, we, we like to dabble in that space i think we're a little bit away from getting you know deli robotic delivery in the middle east but what we really see coming soon is robotics and food prep okay and we, we you know we dabble with uh, some startups in silicon valley where they're using robots to make pizzas and flip burgers you know and we see that given the demand is really concentrated around two peak times right there's demand for the lunch service and demand for the dinner service and successful restaurants that either make pizza or burgers you know could use an, an automation by way of robotics to expedite that and the really the goal there is to create consistency so every time you order the pizza you get it with the right number of onions or olives or you know pineapples and it's always consistent and the second thing is to collapse the delivery time so you know the average delivery time today or around most of the world is around 42 minutes in, in this part of the world, it's a little smaller because or, or shorter because we're dense in Dubai, so it's closer to 38. But there's nothing stopping us from getting from click to doorbell around 15 to 20 minutes. And while we focus on what happens in the kitchen, like you said, there's other companies that focus on how to get you that food faster. And we, you know, we can navel gaze into drones and robotic deliveries, uh, which is an imminent future. You know, a little bit of ways, but definitely, uh, you know, something that we're going to need to contend with in the next five years. This AI that you're you're talking about that will calculate how many calories I've burned and what I should eat is really cool, but also a little creepy, I have to say. But I think this is true of all this AI that's being developed. I mean, it's it's catching people kind of by surprise. And, and you know, there's all these issues of privacy. But also, um, this brings to mind the fact that a lot of people are going to be losing their jobs, which is kind of sad, right, in the kitchens, if you're going to replace the pizza guy with uh, a robot. That's true. That's true. You know, I, I'd like to think that humans will evolve beyond the robot. So if somebody, if a robot is flipping burgers, you know, a human is freed up to do something far more creative, which come up with the next best-selling recipe that attracts the masses, you know? So we've, at least from my personal perspective, I, I feel that while robots will replace 
um, manual labor in certain sectors and certain jobs. Uh, as you saw with the automotive sector, you know, many moons ago, they were the first to adopt robotic arms to for car assembly. But that just meant that humans got to evolve into designing better cars or designing more usable cars or even electric cars, right? So it frees us up to, to kind of move up the food chain and, and use our, you know, real creativity to drive change. That's a nice positive way to look at it. So you guys at GrubTech got your funding during a time when many other businesses are failing. How has the pandemic affected the process of like pitching and fundraising? Um, has your business grown during that time? Was it a, a plus for you guys, the whole lockdown and the whole, you know, pandemic? Yeah, so I mean, like it's, it's a tragic time, and, and and you know, thousands of people lost their lives, and and, and others, you know, lost uh, you know a lot during the pandemic. So I'd hate still, to position still it as a yeah, yeah, still happening, and unfortunately, you know, no end in sight, and, and matters are just you know in certain areas getting worse. So I'd hate to say you know it was a positive for us, but I, all I can say is we're pandemic resilient. By that I mean our business model actually found itself you know accelerating as a result of the pandemic, and it's largely largely due to the fact that restaurants can't cater to customers through dining, right? You can't walk into a restaurant and order a burger anymore or a pizza. You know, you have to rely on getting that food delivered to you. So restaurants all but shuttered their doors for customers to walk in, but still fulfilled the customer demand through delivery. And that shift in revenue from analog to digital, if you would, you know, again, accentuated their inefficiencies. And that's where GrubTech really comes in and helps out and, and, and smooths out that process. So we were very lucky that most of the investors, if not all of the investors, are, you know, from the industry and understand these frictions acutely. So, you know, they, they recognize that GrubTech A is, you know, is, is pandemic resilient and, 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 you know, I hate to use the word benefit for, but at least accelerate or catalyze that disruption. And, and then more importantly, that, you know, we are, you know, providing a lifeline, if you would, to the restaurant industry. And, and they were happy to back us. And, and we were in a very privileged position to, to have captains of industries and, 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 and C-suite individuals who have, you know, saw the business model for what it is and, 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 and you know, definitely came in on the journey. So it's, 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 it's been a lot easier than it would have been um, prior to the pandemic. Let's put it that way. So this is a bit of a technical question. I know that you guys are focusing now on the MENA region. You know, it's a nascent, nascent uh, company and kind of industry even, or what you do, the technology. But you've said you've planned, you're planning on entering key markets in Southeast Asia, Latin America, and Europe by 2021, which is really fast. So my question is, are there already competitors in those regions? And how do you plan on moving into those markets? Is it a physical effort where you have to actually uh, travel to those places or is everything happening uh, remotely these days? Yeah, so I mean, uh, yeah, it, it's funny when the when the when the press release came out, we, we really positioned ourselves in Europe to 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 tackle the European market by early 2021. But just in the last week, the demand out of Portugal, Spain, and Italy has been significant that we decided to accelerate that even further and go after it in Q4. So, you know, it, 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 we're just following the breadcrumbs, if you would, and, and answering the, the customers' calls. Uh, and I think we're going to be in those markets a little sooner than we thought we would be. Uh, as far as having putting physical presence there, it didn't, you know, the fortunate thing is we're in technology and, 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 and in space, it's all remote and we can deploy our solution literally from anywhere in the world. We have our engineering departments um, spread across Turkey 
Turkey, uh, Sri Lanka, uh, Kiev and the Ukraine, and, and they're able to remotely access any systems that we need them to access to deploy in our customers. So there isn't really a need for physical presence. Um, and that's because we're just chasing demand rather than putting sales bodies in that country, knocking on doors, trying to drum up the demands. The customers have been finding us on social media, on LinkedIn and, and, and you know, on podcasts such as yourself, hearing this out and saying, well, you know, I'm experiencing the same problems. How do I get a hold of GrubTech? And, you know, I'm in Poland. How do you get you guys out here as fast as you can? So our solution is quite, you know, agnostic. It's quite localized. I, it can adapt to multiple currencies, multiple jurisdictions, multiple tax um, jurisdictions. And we've been fortunate in that we can remotely deploy without putting boots on the ground. Yeah, that makes sense. And and that's what's really cool about, you know, the, the world that we're living in. It, it's really transforming the way people do business. Um, and it's a lot less expensive, I imagine, to operate. Um, but besides food delivery, healthcare, video gaming, and online retail are some of the industries that have benefited from COVID and, you know, the circumstances. But what kind of startups do you think are most likely to succeed in this post-COVID world? Based on your experience, I know you've worked in, in you know, different industries and, and you've kind of Uh, done a lot of tech stuff, but you're also familiar with retail and other industries. What do you think is a good industries that are poised to to work well? Look, I, I think COVID kind of just accelerated the digitization of every single sector. Digital is now the new norm. Um, and I think some lagging um, sectors, particularly around uh, telemedicine and ed tech, you know, have been resistant to the digitization, but due to the lockdown, you're unable to go see your doctor now and you're unable to go to school. So all these learn from home uh, forced the education system and the medical um, establishment to cater to these digital mediums. And we've seen amazing startups come in and, and facilitate that all around the world uh, and in the local space. And I, I really am a believer that education is now finally reaching that inflection point where it will be digitized Um, and, you know, the old ways of attending a class. And you've seen that with Cross. I mean, started with universities, with the likes of Coursera, a Khan University. And now, you know, you've got a six-year-old who's learning through an iPad uh, from the comforts of his home. And I think, you know, going back to the old ways um, is, is, is unlikely, you know, and we've definitely moved the ball ahead about five years. And the same thing goes for, you know, telemedicine. Yes, you obviously need to see a doctor for a physical examination or a surgery, but your, your typical, I have a cold or consultation, um, you know, can now occur and, uh, you know, on, on the comfort of your home, on your phone, and a prescription can be issued out by the doctor if it, if it warrants, and you can fulfill that prescription again from the comfort of your home by pressing a couple of buttons. So, you know, these these resistant uh, sectors have now been thrusted forward uh, into the digital world uh, as a result of the pandemic. And these are two sectors that I'm quite, you know, excited about and keep a very close eye on. Yeah, you're, you're right. Those are uh, sectors that are have accelerated and that need to accelerate more, in my opinion, especially education. I'm not sure if a fully digital, uh, you know, lower education is ideal for small children who need to be like, you know, playing with other kids and scratching and scraping their knees. And, you know, um, but definitely uh, this will improve Uh, how they do it as as there's as the competition grows. So I guess that's a good thing. But you know, sorry, Nadia, yeah. I, I want to kind of elaborate on that. Yeah, of course. You know, that's kind of that, that that has a, a knock-on impact, right? Because you know, one of the things I, I, I'm a proud father of twins, and, and I, I think the education system also enabled the, the you know the working parent, 
right? Because when your kid's in school from six to three or, you know, with after school activities till 5.30, that enables you to go and participate into the workforce, right? The minute you take, you know, seventh graders, eighth graders, ninth graders, and you put them behind an iPad at home, you know, that also forces corporations to adopt work from home strategies and remote working because there needs to be a, you know, a supervising adult at home. So it has a butterfly effect across you know, how we live our life as a result of disrupting education for kids. And, and I'm, it's, I'm, I'm quite keen to see what will happen as the world tries to resume normalcy while the kids are still at home and parents have to juggle, you know, making sure the kid opens the iPad and attends his class at the same time. I've got a conference call on Zoom and I can't be in the office, you know. It's going to be a, it's a, quite an interesting, um, you know, unfolding of events, if you would. Yeah, definitely. And the thing is, you know, younger kids as well need supervi- close supervision and you can't just make sure they open the iPad. Sometimes you have to help them do the work, you know, or help them do the assignment and not all parents are av- available to do that. So, yeah, that is is definitely uh, an interesting thing. And actually, restaurants are another one. You know, everything is going online. The experience of going to a restaurant, I mean, are we going to lose that? I mean, are we going to have lose a lot of restaurants? You know, a lot of places shut their doors during COVID. I'm wondering if if this will be a trend that will uh, last or or recover because people like going out for, for dinner it's not the same thing to order you know a pizza made by it's a true. robot it's, <laughs> it's true uh, you know one thing one trend that we noticed uh, very early on in the, the lockdown scenario is the restaurant experience at home so you start you started to see a lot of restaurants create that experience that they give you in a in the, in the physical location at home one of my favorite burger joints i'm a big burger fan so one of my favorite burger joints started selling me the burger buns the burger patties the cheese the the magic sauce or the secret sauce they put in in a nice packaged box all I got to do is just flip the burgers on my grill and compile the burger in the same exact way that they would do it. And I had my, you know, quote unquote, restaurant experience at home. So you started to see a lot of people experiment with cooking and they needed some guidance. So that's where the restaurant tours or the, at least the entrepreneurial restaurant tours stepped in and provided the raw ingredients, the know-how in a simple to execute format and that you can create the same dish that you would order in a restaurant. Now, that doesn't absolve the occasion. You know, I got married, I got engaged, I got a promotion. I want to celebrate. I want to go eat in a restaurant. You know, I think that is never going to be replaced by online. Um, but, you know, getting that good burger with all the ingredients, magic sauces, and, and, and you know, that, that experience from eating in, in the restaurant can be now semi-replicated at home. Yeah, I guess you have you can have the food covered, but you don't have the experience of sitting in you know a nicely designed space that kind of takes you out of home. People like to get out of the house, and then you don't have the social uh, experience either. People like to people watch, but maybe with you know VR goggles and all that, <laughs> we'll get there somehow <laughs> in the weird future know. that lays ahead. So you never know. Thank you so much for speaking with us today, and I wish you the best of luck with GrubTech. Thank you so much, Nadia. I really appreciate the opportunity. It was great talking to you guys as well. That's all the time we have for today. Hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to click that subscribe button so you know when we have new episodes coming out. And check us out also on social media. Ciao!